Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, filling in for Dave Pop, which is Rob Gary. Rob, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. It's, it's going to be an amazing show we have today. I'm saying amazing because we're going to we're going to shock some people. Mm -hmm. We're going to shock some people because people believe that inflation is a big issue in retirement. That might not be the case. Amazing. Shocking. Good news. <laughs> good news. Well, <laughs> we'll find out if it's really good news or not. And then we've got. Um, you know, having having uh, the risk or the concern or legal issues as being an executor in your estate of a loved one, there's a concern out there. So what we're going to talk about that and all the concerns and, and opportunities and what you can do to mitigate those risks uh, on the show today. So we've got a really good show. And, you know, when you look at what happened in the markets this week. Um, lots, lots happening. A lot to digest. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still um, having the, the the outbreak of the banking quote unquote crisis. Mm -hmm. uh, we're starting to see more and more banks starting to crack. Right. Some are breaking or being bought out. Um, and then on top of that, you get the Federal Reserve who said we're gonna raise by a quarter point, not surprising on the number, but at the same time that was being delivered, the Secretary Treasurer Janet Yellen comes out and she says, we're not going to cover all deposits for all banks. That's not, that's not accurate. And then the market started to become very volatile on Wednesday because of that. And, and what, one thing that people have to remember is the Federal Reserve or the Treasury does not have the authority to go and just blanket cover everybody's deposits. Right. Neither does the Bank of Canada. They don't have the capabilities to, or CDIC. They just can't go in and say we're going to cover everybody's deposits. It has to be done through legislation. So. MPs here have to agree it in Parliament, or the Congress has to agree with it in the U.S. So these are the kind of laws that we have to be prepared for and understand that this is not... And that, that was surprised a few. I guess people didn't realize there's a legal issue here. And so that caused a lot of volatility in the market. Could become a political fight. Could become forward. a political fight, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you're going to hear about, uh, do we have enough coverage for uh, insurance on, on mm -hmm. deposits in both countries, Canada, United States? That's going to continue. Um, and you're going to probably see a, a couple of more banks um, show some cracks as well in the upcoming weeks or maybe even months because this is still panning itself out on, on what's happening. Um, what also was interesting, Rob, was what the Federal Reserve said about this whole banking issue is that the banks in the U.S. are starting to limit the amount that they lend out to, to companies and individuals. Mm -hmm. That is monetary policy. That's basically tightening up the money supply, which is exactly what the Federal Reserve wants. So it might already happen. It could be already there. Now, the bond market's pricing in a recession and interest rate cuts and all that. The debate's still out there for that. We're not going to jump too much into what we think the debate is going to be on. Uh, but there's an interesting situation happening. So where the banks are going to be tightening the system further. Correct. So right? why, why raise interest rates right. if it's already happening? We can pause. So that was the kind of hint yeah. that the Federal Reserve gave. I think what we should kind of push this onto is, is the topic that many individual Canadians have. They're hearing about the economy, a potential recession. They're hearing about banking crisis. Inflation's still high or now sticky is the word. Mm -hmm. um, there's somewhat uncomfortable with the political landscape. There's war. All these issues are on there and they're reaching out to their financial advisor, uh, their financial team, 
and they're, they're kind of talking about these issues. The, the question that I have for you, Rob, is when an individual starts to speak to their financial team about these issues, what should they be doing next? So they call, they say, Rob, I'm unhappy with what's going on in the markets or inflation is too high or whatever their concerns are. Where do we go from there? Like, what should the mm -hmm. conversation be next? Well, it, it, concerns are there, right? And, and everyone has different concerns, right? On, on their own situation or how it's affecting them. And that makes sense. The, ne the next stage is finding out, again, how it's affecting them how it's affecting their financial situation and if there's strategy in place mm. or a plan in place to get through those. I think right? you nailed it there when you said if there's a strategy in place. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of Canadians do not have a strategy when it comes to these sorts of issues. Inflation, geopolitical, economic, banking crisis, whatever it may be. Let's go back to 2008. We had a bit of all that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and people who reacted to those issues, including the financial crises that dropped the markets as right. bad as it did, it was the strategy and implementing that strategy that helped people get through it. Right. Otherwise, you're left to the mercy of the markets or you're left to the mercy of the economy or you're left to the mercy of a decision that you're making in the moment in time versus a long-term strategy. Bingo. So I think when we look at this and we say, okay, if we're going to have concerns about whatever the topic is today, how is your strategy set up to make sure that you can handle this through the long-term, mm -hmm. not just this moment in time? What's our analogy on that? So when we, we were talking about this coming into the studio, um, we talked about um, all these uh, all these social media posts that I see about dieting. Now, maybe social mm -hmm. media wants me to lose weight, and that's why <laughs> they're, I'm seeing it all. But um, there's different types of diets. There's different types of of ways to quote unquote lose weight. And when I when I speak to you know some friends who are not happy with their weight, they tell me a number. Mm -hmm. They go, Faisal, I want to get to you know this weight. So it's a target. It's a number. So similar to the financial industry, in, investors will say, I need to get to X dollars or I need an X percent rate of return. So they're focused on the number. But when you look at the, the, the dieting side, if you just try to do a diet to get you to that point of that number, mm -hmm. something could still go wrong. Oh, yeah. Because you don't have a yeah. strategy. You have an approach, uh, a, an idea at the time. And in the dietary market? the fads become the instant success. Right. So when it was 2020 and we were the work from home and the fad was good into work from home stocks. And then you go into 2023 and the fad is GICs and right. savings account. The fad, the fad, just go here, go there. Try this diet, try that diet. That's not a strategy. Well, they, they may work for... The short term. A month. Yeah. Yes. And then what happens? And then how do you, how does that help you over the long term? Yeah. What you're basically hoping for is that you're always going to pick the right fad at the right time, always, so you always hit your target. So the strategy would be the tools to get you down to your optimal weight, 
Yeah. Not for, for two months, but for, for the rest of your life. And why was that target weight selected? Correct. Right? So if I said I want to drop 20 pounds, is that a number I made up? Or has that been given by the medical advice that I have? And if it is medical advice, then there has to be a strategy in place mm -hmm. so I can keep that weight off. It's turning, you're going to hear this in, the, in that industry. It turns into a lifestyle, right. not just a fad. Well, it has it, to be part of your life. And is it a healthy target? Correct. Right? Is it too low? Are you trying to be on the runway? Right. Are you trying to go too high of a number where right. you're taking too much risk? Right. And when it comes to your portfolio. So these types of things have to have a strategy and an approach that you can go through the, the, the every market condition. Uh, Rob, headline news story here. You ready for this? Ready. Inflation is not what you think it is, is during retirement. What? Yeah. So let me give you the, the, the concern that many people have. <laughs> a lot of people are saying, oh, look at these inflation numbers, five, six, seven, make up your number, whatever number it is. And it's gonna take off like that forever. And as and I retire, I'm on a fixed income or I've got a certain amount of capital that I gotta spend for the rest of my life. There's no way that I can do this or there's a big challenge, but I think the data is different. Mm -hmm. And so we wanna bring in our upcoming guest right now, Fred. Uh, Batiste, he's the former chief actuary and author of Retirement Income for Life. Fred, welcome to the show. It's my pleasure. Hi, guys. Okay, so the article that you put in the Globe and Mail talks about, um, about income needs and how it not necessarily always rises with inflation. So this is a shocker for many. Walk us through what your, what your analysis is. Well, it shouldn't be a shocker for anybody, really. Uh, first of all, um, a guy called uh, Jeffrey Calvert wrote a book in uh, a Canadian book back in 1977 that talked about this very phenomenon about how people do spend less, especially on durable goods and such as they get older. So that was known. I, I knew this when I was like 15 years old. I had a grandmother who came over from the old country who had virtually no income, but she never had any, any needs. As a matter of fact, she was still giving us cash gifts, even though by, by government uh, standards or benchmarks, she would have been uh, considered to be dirt poor. Uh, but there was there was no no problem there in terms of uh, of that. Then I saw that with my own parents as they as they got older, that they stopped buying cars. My father easily had the money to buy a new car every couple of years, but he kept the same old uh, Audi for like 15, 20 years. Um, they stopped buying durable goods. I think last time we, we bought a sofa was in the 1960s, uh, and so on. But so I saw that just in terms of my own personal experience. Uh, that isn't what I based the book on, though. Uh, there were a various, there were a number of studies. Uh, for example, there was a study done in uh, Germany by someone called Borsch Supan. And uh, anyways, in that study, he looked at 40,000 households and he looked at how assets were being drawn down in retirement. And what was happening in the 1960, in, the, in their 60s, was what he expected to be happening, that the assets were slowly drawing down and so their balances were getting a little smaller because they were spending the money. And then something surprising happened between ages 70 and 75. Instead of the assets drawing down further, suddenly their, their asset balances started to grow, their account balances started growing. Um, and they tried to figure out what was going on. They just found that people were starting to spend less money once they reached uh, somewhere in that, in that ballpark between 70 and 75. Um, so they studied that further and they concluded that uh, the reasons for it were because people either had less ability to spend money because they were they were less mobile than they were when they were younger or less interest maybe they someone lost a spouse and were no longer really interested in uh, exotic travel things like that 
Um, so that's what they found. Uh, looking at Canada, Malcolm Hamilton, uh, probably our best actuary in the past uh, couple of generations, uh, had done a study about 25 years ago where he sifted through uh, data from uh, Stats Canada. Very difficult to get through, by the way. He had to, he had to uh, go through quite a few hoops to get this data. But what it showed was that the uh, um, amount of money that, uh, uh, that seniors were giving away as cash gifts was a very substantial amount. Uh, don't have the number, exact numbers in front of me, but it was like 20% of their, of their money they were giving away as cash gifts when they were 70, in their 70s, that when they were in their 80s, they were giving away even more. Once again, it's kind of suggesting that they weren't spending all their money because they didn't really feel like spending all their money. Then there were other studies done. I mean, I, and they all showed uh, virtually the same thing. There was a Swedish study done that showed this. There was uh, one, a very extensive one done in, in, uh, in the UK uh, by Brancati. And once again, it showed um, that, that people at all income levels were spending less money as they got older. Uh, there was a big drop between ages 60 and, and, and age 80. And, and, uh, and, they, and they asked people if it was because they were constrained, they didn't feel they could spend the money. They just, uh, they, they indicated no in general, that they just didn't feel like spending the money. So, um, and as a result of all that, uh, I, and I, I looked at many different studies, and, and Americans have come up with a bunch of them to show what the um, percentage reduction would be. And I, I roughly worked it out that uh, here's what happens. In your 60s, your spending does keep up with inflation. In your 70s, it's less than inflation by about 1% a year. So in real terms, your spending is dropping by 1% a year. And then in your 80s, it's dropping by about 2% per year. And then in your 90s, all of a sudden, it starts uh, keeping up with inflation again. At that point in time, you're probably under long-term care or you have a personal support worker and you are, uh, you're beholden to somebody else to to meet your needs. So that's kind of, and that's what I based my book, Retirement Income for Life on. Yeah, no, I think it's amazing data because I mean, when we are talking with clients and going through on their spending habits through through their journey of retirement, it, it changes as well. So I think that's uh, incredibly interesting. And I think that given the concerns of inflation right now with a lot of people and and continued inflation we're starting to see cracks in that but it's still at the grocery stores and in people's minds how should people be handling their retirement income based on the current fears well i have to admit i like everybody else thought that inflation was pretty much dead um uh, the um, bank of canada uh, implemented their two percent target back in the early 1990s and then since then Inflation has kind of hovered around the 2% level, sometimes even less than that. Um, and I thought that's just how it's always going to be. What I didn't count on was a, uh, a pandemic. And I guess it could have been anything else. It could have been some other major crisis or black swan event, as they call them. Uh, but it was the uh, pandemic, and, and the government spent huge amounts of money, as we know. And not only Canada, Canadian, but other governments did. And we're having this problem in de developed countries around the world, where now that the large amounts, they were spending large amounts that they didn't have, that it's uh, kicked up inflation everywhere uh, up to, uh, I guess it's spiked at around the 8 or 9% level, which we hadn't seen since the uh, late uh, 1980s. Um, so what it means to me is that if it happened now, it can happen again. It can happen. It may not, won't be because of COVID. It'll be because of something else that we can't even predict. It might be in five years' time or 10 years' time. But what it means is that if you can maximize your income that is inflation protected, 
uh, without uh, too much cost, like the cost of insurance, then you should do so. And by that, that means, for example, that if you can start your CPP pension at age 70 instead of 65 or 60, you should do so because it would be that much greater and it is fully inflation protected. If you can start, you decompose your OAS. I, I was never keen on postponing OAS because the bump isn't quite as great as with OAS as it is with uh, CPP, but it's still substantial. It's 36% more at 70 versus 65. And if you can do that as well, then you should do so because once again, it's fully inflation protected. So anything that uh, gives you inflation protection is, is a good thing as far as I'm concerned, as long as the cost isn't too great. Fred, we gotta leave it there. Thank you so much for uh, letting us know about your thoughts, the, the research that you've done, uh, and the ideas of you know maximizing your inflation protection along the way. Thank you very much for joining us today. Okay, you're quite welcome, my, my pleasure. We've been joined by Fred Batiz, former chief actuary and author of Retirement Income for Life. Rob, we have had many, many conversations on the show with our listeners, with our clients about um, estate planning. Mm -hmm. And one of the topics that comes up time and time again is the responsibility, maybe the burden, maybe issues with being an executor. Mm -hmm. Now, I think a lot of people either have, know somebody or have been an executor for someone else's estate. And if it's not their significant other, like their, their spouse, it can be a pain in the you-know-what. It can be a burden is a good question, is a good word to describe it. I have had family members had to take a year off of work. Shut up. Really? Yep. A year yep. off of a work? A year off of work to fulfill their responsibilities and have to travel around the world. Yes. Wow. So if you can, if it's going to disrupt your lifestyle, right, maybe there is a chance to outsort this. Right. And we're going to talk to an expert today and to find out what their services are and what the uh, pain points are of, of being an executor. So we're going to be joined by Denine Thingvold. She is a certified executive, executor advisor with Leading Edge Executive Services. I want to thank you for joining us today, Denine. Hello. Well, I'm glad to be here. Denine, uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate it. And, you know, maybe we can start with asking you, Maybe some of the common things that you deal with, with being an executor for a client. Um, yeah, that's a really good question. And just to add to what you said earlier, it's sometimes um, noted as the hardest job you never applied for. Um, so a lot of the states are, you know, I'm not going to say anybody can do it, but most people could be an executor. However, the executor is often faced with grief themselves, and then they get the brunt of all the contention in the family or with the beneficiary. So my services, what I do is I step in and act on behalf of an exec on behalf of an executor for the family. And what I do is my goal is always to um, administer the estate call in the professionals when required, um, do it in a timely matter and keep the contention at bay. Um, so families, unfortunately, don't always get along. So what I do is I communicate with everyone, but nobody 
has to communicate with each other unless they so choose to. Um, I keep everybody informed of what's going on. I engage the accountants when we need to do the final tax returns. I, um, <clears throat> you know, I try to dis um, dissolve of the estate as quickly as possible, but I always want to make sure that I get fair market value for anything that's being sold on the open market. Um, that's kind of a high level. I got into this because I, um, I actually was working on a friend's estate who had passed away and had no family in town, which is also another, um, another problem sometimes. So her brother-in-law was a financial advisor for many, many years, and he phoned me independent and said, you need to do this as a profession because lots of people don't have someone. So, and that's, that's what got me thinking and progressed me into um, getting the certification and moving forward. Now, Deneen, um, when people act as an executor, there are many things that come up and surprise individuals. So why don't we go through some of the lists of surprises that an executor can, can experience when they take on that uh, job they never really wanted. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, one thing is often, it's like being a private investigator to find out who is the proper person to talk to or where everything is. And, you know, one thing I would tell everybody who is listening to your show is tell six people where your will is or 10 is better because a lot of times wills are hard to find. Um, I think the biggest thing is how much, um, unfortunately it brings out the worst in people is the biggest, is the most shocking thing to me. And um, it's, it's really shocking to me, the bad behavior of beneficiaries who've lost someone. That would be really challenging when you have to deal with different personalities. Everybody is, their, their emotions are, are high to some level. Um, and it could be uh, a conflict going on. And, and so that's a, that's a big surprise. I didn't, I didn't realize that that is one of the surprises. I would have expected mm -hmm. that considering what we do for a living. Like I expect people to be upset about these issues, um, but that's a surprising piece. So um, is there any other on your list that you would say is a surprise that executors would experience? Um, the amount of work and the fact that it's mostly in person. You can do very little online. You have to do it all in person, even though we're a very digital age. Um, as far as paying bills, and you can't do it online for most banks don't let you, they make you show up in person. So even to maintain the household, to pay the monthly electricity bill, you still have to show up in person to pay it. Dean, you kind of highlighted a couple of the things that, that you do obviously you help with grief and, and, and that, can you kind of highlight the rest of your service when, when someone comes to you? Um, yeah. So if someone comes to me, I sometimes get engaged after the fact, and sometimes I get engaged prior to. So if someone comes to me prior to, I make sure that they have a very holistic inventory of their life. And I don't 
um, ever want account numbers, I want higher levels so that, you know, I know which financial institutions to go to. I know who they did their taxes with. And that's another thing that's surprising is people do their taxes, but their, their people don't necessarily know where they keep their taxes. So that's something else that's you really need to know as an executor. Um, I follow through to the end. I make sure that the um, clearance certificates are requested. I get appraisals on everything. You know, I engage art dealers if it's necessary. I engage car dealers if it's necessary. And there's a lot of estates are all different because everybody lives different lifestyles. You know, Denine, this, is, this has been really informative in understanding that there is a lot of work to do. There's a lot of surprises and there's help out there. If you want, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, how do they get in contact with you? Um, I have a website and it's leadingedgeexecutorservices.com or they can, um, I have a form on there that can be filled out. They can send me an email or my phone number is also listed on my website. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Denine. Thank you. We've been joined by Deneen Thingvold with Leading Edge Executor Services. Rob, I wanted us to, you know, we, we in this show today, we talked about um, estate planning, the executor. We've talked mm -hmm. about inflation, markets, and how it impacts your retirement and what you know, what kind of strategy you should take into place. Um, we're, we're fortunate enough to meet with some great people, our clients, and sit down and talk about strategy. So what was interesting is a client came in uh, this week and sat down with you and I uh, and said, I'm ready to retire. Mm -hmm. So let's take the position you're now ready. And you could be plus or minus of, you know, six months, let's say and you're ready. Mm -hmm. Mentally, you're going to do it. You're going to, you're going to hang up the sneakers. You're done. Mm -hmm. Okay. You sit down with your financial advisor, your planner, your financial team, or you do it yourself. What's the process that you need to go through in order to make sure you've got the right approach financially mm -hmm. for retirement? Well, it doesn't start with financials. What? Right? No, no. It's actually the final thing that we look at. And I, this was an interesting meeting because um, Yes, they were ready to retire, right? And and the approach that we went in through and started talking with was about lifestyle, right? It wasn't about how much money they had. So step one, start talking about lifestyle. So when you say that, because that's a broad term. Very big, yes. What, what do you mean by that? Uh, what? First thing is what. What are you going to do? Hmm. When are you going to do it? Are you going to travel more in your, for your first years? what are those things, right? One thing that, that we use as a tool mm -hmm. is 31 things you were gonna do in retirement. This is an interesting point that you're making because many people who approach us uh, and, and talk about the, uh, retirement or our clients who are now mentally preparing to retire don't know what they're retiring to. Right. They know what they were doing before. And, and, and in this example, I've been in the oil and gas uh, industry for, for 30 years. Rob, that's all I've done. So what are you going to do with your time? And they've never sat down and talked with their 
partner yeah. or themselves. But what does it look like? And so the 31 things to do in retirement, and the reason why 31 comes up is because A, it's really challenging. Mm -hmm. We can probably spit out 10 very quickly, what things that we wanna do. You know, your dreams and wishes kind of list, yep. bucket list. Uh, number two is that when you get to the number 11 to number 20, it's a little bit challenging, right? but still doable. But when you get to 21 to 31, what ends up coming out, generally speaking, is your core values. What, what, what's really important to you and your value system right. versus the things you want to do, the purchases you want to make, the experiences you want to have. You find out what your purpose is. You find out what, what drives you. Your value comes out. And that's, that's, so that's why we, we strongly recommend individuals write down 31 mm -hmm. things they want to do in retirement. And make it a fun exercise. Make it a, a yeah. fermented exercise, we call it, right? Yeah. Have a glass of wine or a glass of beer. And it can create that, that vision. Yes. Right? Yes. So step one, understanding what your lifestyle mm -hmm. is, is the first step. Most people will come in and say, I've got X dollars. I did the math. I put it in a spreadsheet. I went what on can I spend? online. That's it. And this is what I can spend. So it's kind of like they're trying to figure out what's the maximum amount of income I can get with my money. Yeah, they're trying to backfill or go backwards. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's kind of like looking for a job to say, what's the most I can get paid? Mm -hmm. No one talks <laughs> about the quality of their job. What's the most I can get paid? You can get paid $500,000. Well, what do I have to do? This is the job title and job description. Well, I hate that. Now what? So shouldn't you do it the other way? Mm -hmm. what, what do you want to do for a living? Then how much can you get paid for it? But when it comes to retirement, we want to talk about the, the income first and then what we're going to do second. It's going to be the job, right? So that's, the, that, that's an interesting part that we should, we should share with everybody. Step one, figure out lifestyle. Number two. Number two comes into, uh, we called it concerns, mm -hmm. right? And concerns can be a, a broad group of, of issues or concerns. Uh, they don't have to be negative, right? They could be just thing. It could be, it could be health. Right, it could be um, it could be a legacy. It could be concerned about what's going to happen tax-wise in yeah. this country or another country. Wait, when you start talking about all the things you think about, worry about, concerned about, or or are that are on your mind, mm -hmm. and you just throw one aboard. Now we have a whiteboard in all of our rooms for a reason. We can just throw things on the board, and away we go. So when when this client, and this is part of the process, throws all their concerns. Like, like spaghetti to a wall. Let's mm -hmm. throw it all on the on the on the wall. We start writing it down. You generally end up having these concerns cover four key issues. You got it. Number one is income. Number two, I need this money to grow because of inflation. Because there's going to be future expenses that I'm going to have above and beyond my day to day needs. Whatever that that case. So you need some growth. One of the concerns that many Canadians have is as they age, the type of care they're going to receive from people that they're, their loved ones, or they might have to hire people. So health care mm -hmm. comes up as a common theme. Taxes and gifts that you want to give, I'm gonna, either are both of them or one of them. Right. You know, I'm concerned I'm going to be paying too much tax. Okay, I'm concerned that, you know, if I leave money behind to my, my, my child, you know, she's going to just spend it all 
in the first year. Mm-hmm. You know, those kind of concerns do come up in di- about your future. Okay, so that's it. Breaks it down to oh, we call it the buckets. Yeah. The four key issues are income, growth, health, and legacy, and that's where you got all your concerns on the board. So step one, lifestyle. What do you want to do? What's your vision? Step two, what are your concerns? And what's step three? Yeah, and and the buckets create that. Again, we call it four buckets of asset dedication, and it's a great way to start that conversation to get those pieces in line. Last one, financial. The last one is the financial. The last one is financial. Okay. And and we have a process yep. on our team, you know, that we work through, go through the plan, find where the income is going to come from, find what kind of growth you need, if anything needs to be dedicated to health concerns right now, if there is a legacy that's currently going to be in place that we need to protect against, and develop a strategy around that. So the financials and the strategy address the concerns that you have, that you put in step two. Mm -hmm. The concerns that you have are things that you are thinking about because of step one, the vision, the lifestyle. All intertwined. They all work together. And then what do you do? The last piece of this, and we called it a report card, right? Because we have to review this. Mm Mm-hmm. Because this isn't, you can't just put a pan in place, this is financials, because things are going to change. Your journey is going to change over time. We need to review it. And individuals, your clients need to review and go, are, are we on pace? What, what happens with a vehicle if your oil light comes on? And what happens in that vehicle when things are not going according to plan? A light comes on and tells you that you need to do something. So your report card, we call it that, tells you where you are, it's like a diagnostics of your car. You got it. It's like a 300 point inspection of your vehicle. How are things going on at this point in time? So it makes you feel comfortable that you can keep going. Correct. Will there be unexpected expenses? Will there be any issues? And I'm talking about a car and your retirement (laughs) at the same time, you know? So these are the things that come up and so, when you look at all these steps, there ha- the process that you that you put you know the, this client through, um, they come out knowing that there's a strategy going to be put in place, and so we're going to talk about that strategy as well at our upcoming seminar in April. When is that, Rob? You bet. It Tuesday, April twenty fifth, seven p.m. This will be in person at the Carriage House Inn. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Well, that's it. Another edition of More Than Money on QR Calgary. Thank you for joining us with Rob, Gary, and myself, uh, Faisal Carmelli. Have a great evening, and we'll see you again next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.